Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Sham, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back after a few weeks to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. So we've actually been reading Achrei Mot for weeks now, uh, because we, for the past two Shabbos in the United States, we haven't had any actual Parsha. And so we were laning Achrei Mot during the week um, in anticipation, but haven't actually gotten to it until this week. So it's very exciting. Um, and so I actually wanted to just look at the first Pasuk, um, and perhaps its connection to the second one as well, um, to think about what is going on in the beginning of this Parsha. So in the first Pasuk, God speaks to Moshe, saying, wait, sorry, excuse me. God speaks to Moshe, So Hashem speaks to Moshe after the death of the two sons of Aharon, who died when they drew too close to the presence of Hashem. And then in the second Pasuk, right? So God says to Moshe, tell your brother Aaron that he can't come um, into the, you know, the Mishkan, whatever he wants to, there are all these rules for it. And so with the Mepharshim kind of look at this and they say, okay, wait a minute. This is a little bit strange. It's strange for a couple of reasons. First of all, in verse one, God speaks to Moshe after the death of Aaron's two sons, right? Moshe's nephews. And yet the Torah doesn't tell us what God said, because then in the second verse, God speaks to Moshe again. And that's when we learn what God had to say to Moshe. But there's nothing actually referenced in verse one. And I think then there's also the question of why is Hashem speaking to Moshe, perhaps about Aharon? And if it's not about Aharon, what's the significance of the fact that Aharon's sons had just died? So Rashi looks at, takes a Midrash that I see cited by many of the Mepharshim that says, um, why, sort of, why is there this speaking twice? Um, and the answer is, well, it was all about the same thing, but it had to be said twice. Why? So the Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah gives a mashal. So the mashal is there's a sick person who goes to the doctor and the doctor says, okay, don't eat cold food and don't lie on the cold floor right? And that's how you'll get better. But then another doctor comes and says, don't eat cold food and don't sleep on a cold floor so that you don't die the way that some other guy died, right? So meaning that the second warning or the second way of prescribing medical advice is much more effective than simply just saying, just, oh, here's what you do, right? If you say, do this, so you're not going to die like someone else, someone is much more likely to listen to you than if you just give them the advice without that additional warning. And so, because the what follows next are the rules that Aaron has to do in order to be able to approach the Mishkan, then it what the reason that the after the death of his two sons is specified is to remind him, because look what happened when your sons did it, right? You have to take this seriously. And as others point out, you also have to take it urgently, right? There's an element of urgency here. After they died is when God says, oops, I got to speak to Moshe now to give Aharon these instructions, right? Because we, of course, don't want Aharon to die. And so that's why that's the connection to the death of Aharon's two sons, because it had to be rushed. And also, excuse me, because there was, it was a way of conveying to Aharon the importance and the sense of urgency, which I think is, you know, certainly an interesting 
textual idea. It's interesting to, to imagine that sense of urgency that perhaps the people after our nuns of Nineveh who die, they're really, everyone is kind of frantic. What happened? What happened? What happened? And so here God is rushing in to say, here's how to avoid this happening again. But and I think this is also kind of, you know, missing a pastoral element a little bit, right? I mean, I think it's hard to imagine that the entire point of this being post the death of Aaron's two sons is just to say, to make sure to Aaron, you don't want to die like your two sons did, right? I mean, that's not terribly sensitive. And already when a time when Aaron is struggling a lot with this because it's a public moment and he's a public figure, right? So is there a way to see more going on here? The Kleokar then, I found, said something interesting. I'm not totally sure what to do with it yet, but I wanted to share it. So he says, all right, when God comes to Moshe, God says, Daber el And then he says, all right, Right, why does the Torah here, why does God here mention specifically the brotherly relationship between Moshe and Aharon? Right, why does it just say, Daber el Aharon? Why al Aharon achicha, Aharon your brother? And he says that the answer is that we want, God wanted to make sure to convey the message that we couldn't rely or Aharon couldn't rely on the fact that he was Moshe's brother in order to save him from future punishment. Meaning that Aharon couldn't say to himself, okay, Nadav and Avihu were killed because they did something wrong, but I know God would never touch me because I am Moshe, right? God's prophet, God's leader, everything. Um, I'm his brother. Right. And so Aaron can't rely on his proximity to Moshe in order to be exempted from punishment. Right. In order to be infallible, to be protected. Um, and and so and the, the, I guess here then the message is that if Aaron has to get still the message that you can't, you have to approach God only under very specific circumstances. And this isn't an open door policy, so to speak. Then what the message becomes for Aaron is, and for Moshe for that matter, is no one is above the law, right? No one, not even the people at the top are infallible. No one has direct access to God. Not Aaron, not Moshe, certainly not who as we've seen, nobody. Now, in this way, it's also a little bit insensitive because it's still conveying to our own, it's still contextualizing all this message in terms of your sons did something wrong, right? And therefore we want to spare you that same punishment. I don't love this from a pastoral perspective, but I do think it's interesting in the way that it does connect back to the whole point of the story of Nadav and Avihu in the first place. The Torah is so ambiguous about what Nadav and Avihu actually did wrong to merit having this punishment of fire coming out and eating them. And I think, you know, the Torah is intentionally cryptic about this for many reasons, but I think one of them might be so that we can't look at Nadav and Avihu and say, oh, what they did was really bad, right? The only way Aaron's two sons could have been killed in such a horrible way on such an important day of the year, you know, the, the, the inauguration, et cetera, et cetera, they must have done something really, really wrong. No, the message is any of anyone does anything wrong, then they're going to get punished, right? God is saying, I'm not creating a society. I'm not creating a system in which the leadership is infallible, in which the leadership has is held according to different standards than everybody else. In my world, says God, everyone 
is held to the same standards, right? Everyone has to follow procedure. No one is above the law and no one has direct access to me in a way that they should just feel entitled to walk in whenever. And so this actually becomes a moment that is, um, I think not really targeting our own so much, perhaps a little bit, but also just a really equalizing message for the whole community and creating the type of narrative, the type of community that I think we should all strive to have, which is that there are not separate standards for the leaders than there are for everybody else. And that God is is holy enough and, and worthy enough that you know no one, no one gets to take God for granted, um, even the people at the very top. Shabbat Shalom.